Keep on talking in the free world. Big Blue Jays win. Santiago Espinal. George Costanza. Everybody loves Romano. Bo knows defense. And then the big dog. Alec Manoa. The list goes on. How about Big Daddy Kane? Pimpin' ain't easy. Shout out to Oscar Hernandez. It truly was a team win in the Boogie Down Bronx. Monday, April 11th. Talk That Talk. The official fan reaction show. Before and after every Toronto Blue Jays game. All season long. In the Spotify green room. Follow off the hook at the signal is busy on Twitter. For all the updates on live tweets during the game, anything going on throughout the week and throughout the day. But of course, it's baseball, baby. It's on almost every day. So we're here day in and day out. Shout out Darren Churchill in the house. Blue Jays win, Blue Jays win, Blue Jays win. So initial reaction. Listen, everybody loves Romano. Congratulations, setting a Blue Jays record. History. Uh, all love for the Terminator, Tom Hankey, with the 24 consecutive saves. I think they said, too, that particular run that he had with the 24 consecutive saves, he he was it, there was some kind of injury that he was, he was playing through. I can't remember off the top of my head now, but uh, definitely shout out to Tom Hankey, the Terminator. Nothing but love. And... But everybody loves Romano. I don't even know. Is it Pickering? Is it Markham? Whatever. We're downtown Toronto. Shout out all uh, of the city. Shout out the GTA. Shout out Canada. But we're downtown Toronto. So everything outside the downtown core is referred to as Markham. I don't know. I'm just joking around. I forget where he's from. I want to say... I can't remember now. Anyway, the point is is that uh, the dirty stash gets it done. I hope he stays healthy the entire season, but uh, you're going into Yankee Stadium, New York Yankees, game four of 162, AL East matchup, big game. They're all big games. Every game is a big game if you're poised to have a crack at the World Series. I believe that this is a championship season, 2022, and that the Blue Jays will win the World Series. So, you know, starting from uh, what we just saw, everybody loves Romano shut the door. But there were a lot of contributing factors tonight. Pitching and defense. This is what is going to win a World Series. This is what we said all along. This is what Charlie preaches. This is what anyone who knows baseball preaches. But, I mean, Charlie, this is his mantra. And I love the fact, you know, Buck and Tabby have been around a long time. They've been in the game. and I I got love. I love the fact that... um, I thought for a minute that the tabby might have got left by the wayside. I've spoken about this before, but shout out Pat Tabler. And uh, I would have been so disappointed if that had have been the case. And it's not. And uh, I love Pat Tabler. Ran into Pat Tabler one time uh, on a side note. My daughter and I walking across the John Street Bridge after it was after the game. But 
it was way later, so we had left the game, went home, and then went out for a little walk or what have you, and it was it was dark, pitch black, and it was just my daughter and I walking through, and then uh, Tabby, I guess, was going home from the game. Like, you know, he was stayed late, finished up his duties and what have you, and... Uh, and I got love for him. Had, and I don't really, you don't usually do this. Gave him a shout out. Had to shake his hand. All love for Pat Tabler. Big, big, big guy, man. Guy's huge. Anyway. So, you know, every time I see Josh Donaldson, Josh Donaldson came in with a pinch hit. And then, uh, I'm not a pinch hit, like, as a pinch hitter. But the point is, is that. Every time I think of Josh Donaldson, you guys can love Josh Donaldson as much as you want. I got love for Josh Donaldson's story. He does have a he does have a, a story that will pull on your heartstrings. Uh, how he grew up and, and and just how his whole whole life went and uh, stand up guy, character guy, and what he did for his mother and you know really stand up guy. Um, and of course, he was the MVP here. However, our 2015 run when we were looking to go into the World Series, man. My boy Jose, he hit two home runs that game against Kansas City on the road. Josh Donaldson didn't do fuck all. You know, and that was it. I fucking was in tears when we got eliminated from the playoffs that year. Literally. So I digress. This was a big win. I called at the top of the show, and I shouldn't have really done this. Like, uh, you know, uh, Darren's joining us in, in, and listening in, which I appreciate the love and hope he enjoys uh, me bringing us through the Jays game. And uh, we do Talk That Talk, the official fan reaction show before and after every WWE, Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-view. And, you know... We introduced a walk that walk segment, which is who had the moment of the night or who was the MVP of the night, which which I do on all talk that talk shows. So I sort of said at the top of the show, I kind of like foreshadowed it on who do you think that would walk that walk tonight? And, and, I, and I kind of I'm not going to do that anymore. I think Darren and I talked about it on the WWE show is that. Well, we'll just say to make sure that, you know, you keep your eyes peeled and that way you can weigh in afterward rather than predicting one. So for me, uh, I'll get to that in the end, but it, it was, there were a lot of contributing factors. We'll go from the top is that, you know, so that being said, like I said, is that I said that Alec Manoa was the key to this game. I said Alec Manoa is our true ace. And uh, I believe he showed us again. This guy, this guy just showed officer on the scene. Officer on the scene. This guy just showed up on the scene last year, man. Like everyone was, the, the fan base started clamoring for him to come up because we were desperate. And then the organization didn't want to bring him up because they wanted to bring him along slowly. And then, you know, everyone was sort of split. Is he ready to come up? Isn't he ready to come up? And how much of an impact can the guy make? I said, the guy is the ace. He is the de facto ace. And the rotation won't change. I believe that they'll keep it intact the way it is because, you know, he's only in his second year. So not having him as the ace is not killing his confidence. So he's just fine where he is. But if you relegated Barrios to the number two slot, as opposed to uh, being the quote-unquote ace stop at the start of the rotation, that would affect him. So everything's going to stay status quo. But when we go to the playoffs, Alec Manoa will be p- pitching that first game. You better believe that. And uh, don't worry, Darren. I got my eye on things in the WWE world, too. So uh, uh, thank you. Shush. So we go to the top. 
how about George Costanza, a.k.a. George Springer, and Santiago Espinal, the dynamic duo. They were responsible for our runs this evening. I mean, how... Kevin Biggio, listen, I got love for Kevin Biggio. He's a left-handed bat. His father was a great player. I said last year that, uh, you know, when we went to the Rogers Center, we kind of, uh, there was an autograph session and what have you, that Kevin Biggio seemed like he was wise beyond his years and uh, liked his body language, liked his demeanor, and I felt like he was a good character guy. But, you know, Santiago, he's not fucking around, man. He's going for the gusto. So, you know, here he was tonight, three for three, and then with a walk. So he was on base all four times, stole a base, and then George Springer, you know, brought him brought him in with the home run, and then George Springer brought him in with the double, uh, the dynamic duo. But you can't say enough. Never mind, never mind Santiago Espinal. Never mind his three hits. Never mind his stolen base. How about the double play? You know, again, a huge, huge play. Two, uh, uh, sorry, the double play where Espinal takes it off the funny hop, grabs it. That is a very difficult play, and I'm glad Tabby pointed that out, is that that's not a routine play by him. And then although the highlight of the whole double play was the bow spinorama, but great play by Santiago to grab that ball, get it to bow, bow does the 360, and then gives it to Vladdy. But it wasn't a complete stretch up, but Vladdy gave a little bit of a stretch to be able to turn that double play. Extremely important at that moment in time. And, you know, hard work pays off. Bo put in the work. Bo has been putting in the work. There's, you know, they showed the pictures of him, and they've told the stories in spring training when he's there, 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever, as the sun's coming up, working on the defense. They, uh, I think Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker said on um, opening day, they were there at 11 o'clock in the morning, Barker and Jeff Blair were, and you had all the big-time hitters, Bo Bichette being one of them, Vladdy, uh, T. Oscar, all working on defense at 11 o'clock in the morning home opener season opener for seven o'clock game and he's they said that for the hour and a half that they saw them out there no one took any bat at bats everyone was just working on defense because pitching and defense wins it so the point is is that he's disciplined he's working on it you know when we brought matt chapman here we brought matt chapman here to cover that third base or the space between third base and second base, and he specifically said take off some pressure off of Bo, you know, on the backhand and balls because, you know, that was an area of opportunity for Bo. And, you know, it takes time. It takes time to work that skill set. And Chapman was going to be a huge asset, which he is, obviously. But that there was two plays that Bo made today, and he made one the other day, or game three of our series at home. But earlier on in this game, he made one backhanded play where Chapman actually, don't, like the exact scenario that Chapman spoke about and that everyone spoke about, is that Chapman was going to cover the space, moving towards second, stretch out, and he really is able to cover that ground, grab it, prevent Bo from having to deal with the backhand, which is difficult. Chapman actually laid out, missed it. I'm not talking Chapman. I'm just saying he laid out and missed it. Bo was there. He ran. He was running his 
he was running to the ball as well. He backhanded it and rifled it to Vladdy, and Vladdy stretched out with the splits and got the out. That was a phenomenal play. Like a, a bow early on for me uh, it was walking that walk for me. That that was my early pick as that as that went on, and then the double play later on in the game with the three sixty play. But he's forcing it a little bit of. I, I don't know why he's doing that. I feel like you know coming off the third game at home. And then against Texas in the season opening season season opening series, and then now tonight, it felt like he's just you know the third game he swung hard late in the game, and his helmet came off, and it was like I just felt like he was overreaching a little bit. I don't know what's going on, and I felt like tonight too the same thing is that uh, I felt like he's overreaching a little bit, overextending a little bit, getting outside of his comfort zone a little bit, which is unlike him especially this early in the season. So I thought that was a little bit odd, something to keep your eye on. And then, uh, although T. Oscar early, this is the top of the first, I mean, it was an out, but he went opposite field again. It was an out to the opposite field. But again, just, you know, letting the ball come to you. And like we've heard many, many times from everyone that was involved in the spring training, uh, Kevin Barker was down there, uh, boots on the ground. Jeff Blair, of course, was covering it all on uh, Blair and Barker, is that, you know, they focused on making contact and then hits up the middle and to opposite field. You know, Pat, uh, Joe Siddle talks about this all the time, but they specifically were talking about that. Anyone who was involved in spring training, pitching, defense, and then for the hitters, just keep it moving. Just keep it moving. You don't have to be the hero, and they're not looking to be the hero. Keep it moving. Put the ball in play. Next man up. Move the lineup along. And you do that by, by you know not trying to pull every single ball, crank it out into another galaxy, is that even though they can hit the home runs, let the ball come to you up the middle opposite field. And that was an example of that early. So... Then comes Alec Manoa. The big boy was in the house. You know, uh, he looked good early. He looked good early. And then, you know, he, this, was a, this was a good thing. You know, adversity is always a good thing. Is that, you know, when he walked, when he walked the three batters to load the bases... And Pete Walker came out and had a chat with them, and the infield came in, and then Kirk came out and was talking to him. And, you know, he's an even-killed guy, man. He plays within himself. He's confident in his ability. And then he gathered himself, got out of that inning. And I believe, I'm just going through my notes, I believe that was when Bo, it was. That was the first play I talked about when Chapman laid out, and Bo grabbed it and threw him out, which was... A huge play because the bases were juiced. If that so, Bo makes if that gets through, those are two runs, first of all. But if Bo messes that up, also two runs, and then the lineup keeps moving. So that was a huge, huge play by Bo. And that's why I said for me early, you know, Bo was walking that walk. Then, of course, you know, we march on just sort of going through the innings is that. You know, Espinal and Springer were putting on a show. Espinal got his hit. Springer hit the home run. That was in the top of the third uh, to give us a 2 nothing lead. Then the bottom of the third was when the Manoa situation happened that I just spoke about with uh, Chapman laying out. And so now we go to the top of the fourth. And... I'm just looking here. I don't know exactly what uh, what happened at the top of the fourth. Uh, 
Oh, this is what happens. So Teoscar gets on. This was an interesting point by Pat Tabler. Teoscar gets on, and, you know, Loris Gurriel comes up. He swings at the first pitch. And Pat Tabler correctly acknowledges that, listen, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Meaning that, you know, he was just, you know, he's not saying that anyone, he he wasn't online looking at it, but knowing that fans are going to be like, why are you swinging at the first pitch? You know, like that's what we all say as fans. Why are you swinging at the first pitch? T. Oscar just got on. Let's just keep it moving. But, you know, we had the most home runs. Uh, so Pat Tabler was like, if you're going to say that, then you're going to have to say the exact same thing when they, when they swing at the first pitch and they enjoy success. We had the most home runs in Major League Baseball last year uh, off the first pitch. And there was another stat they threw it. I forget what it is now. I don't see it in my notes. But I, I want to say that we had the best average on first pitch as well. So again, I'm not, I got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of swinging at the first pitch. I really am not. And, uh, but as I say that, I appreciate what Pat said. I felt like he was talking to me is I felt like Tabby was putting me on blast because, you know, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'd rather just not do it at all. And then, you know, that's fine. However, listen, that's why they're big league players. And I'm sitting here chatting about it. I'm talking that talk. They're walking that walk. So it is what it is. We've enjoyed a lot of success doing it. And I think that they, they really share a lot of good information on the dugout. We see that everybody in the dugout talking a lot and they got a good plan and a good approach. So I think that's what enables them to pounce on the first pitch because they're doing a lot of information sharing and they're paying attention, not just hanging out in the dugout fooling around. I think that's where it comes into play. And they like to put pressure on pitchers early. You know, and when you're when you're swinging at the first pitch and your team has a reputation of swinging at the first pitch, is that you're putting pressure on the pitchers, and then you, you don't have to swing at the first pitch, but you're putting pressure on the pitchers knowing that you're coming out swinging, and that might change their approach a little bit. And then that might benefit you because what 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 would a pitcher do if to a lineup that is has a reputation for swinging at the first pitch? Then they might start pitching outside. They might start pitching a ball first pitch because they know you have a habit of swinging at the first pitch and if you're a disciplined team that gives you a free ball in your head in the count now we go to the pitch com uh buck had some words to say here about the pitch com talking about you know uh gabriel torres was doing was doing the most right you know like he was hiding he was hiding the buttons he got the buttons. You got the buttons, and then the pitcher has the headband, and the infielder has the headband, and the center fielder has. The, I think there's five people that can have the can have it. So the catcher, the pitcher, and then usually you're going to say the second baseman and the center fielder, perhaps, and one of the other infielders with the audio. And then you know you got it there, and then he's hiding the he's hiding the buttons. Like Buck was like, it's a bit much. Like the the batter is not looking down at what buttons you're pressing, and can he even see them? And then he's he's focused on his at bat and the pitcher. So anyway, to you know, to each his own. But Buck had some interesting points about this. I think that I didn't know. First of all, it's extremely customizable. Is that you can, you know, you can program in there. I guess anything, pickoff plays, 
uh, throwouts, uh, everything. And then, of course, all the pitches, which I thought was pretty interesting. And you can customize the voice. So he was saying, I don't know if he was talking about what, Texas because they're big advocates of it, of Pitchcom. I don't know if he was talking about Texas or talking about the Yankees. It was kind of in and out for a second, but he basically was like saying that they used their own voice of their of one of their coaches, and then it, it was because it was too loud or what have you. They were having problems listening, and then they went back to the generic voice. But I thought it's kind of interesting. You can customize the voice to you know to whoever you want, really, which is pretty cool. I got to talk about Aaron Judge for a second here, man. So, Aaron Judge, what the fuck, man? Like, I'm not an Aaron Judge fan at all. But And it's nothing that we all haven't heard. But, Aaron Judge, you're turning 30 this year. You're going to play this entire year at 30 years old. You were offered whatever it was, $230 million, I don't know the exact number, whatever it was. But the average, the, your average per year was $30.5 million dollars. Second in Major League Baseball, only behind Mike Trout, and above Mookie Betts is the second highest payer. And you fucking turn this down? Like, and, and the thing is, this is not one of those things, oh, we're fans, and then, you know, you're the player and you got an agent. No, it's not like that. You're 30 years old, you're injury prone. You're playing for the New York Yankees. As much as I hate the New York Yankees, which I despise, which I do, I despise them, but it's still the New York Yankees. So you're playing for the New York Yankees. You're an integral part of their team. That you, you, you're, what do you? What do you? Th- you're making it seem like they're punking you off, or they're or they're not showing you any love. They're not showing you the money. Y- your fucking agent is fucking insane, buddy. He is insane, clinically insane. You got offered a contract at 30 years old. I don't know what was it, an eight year deal. I don't even know. So at, at at the second highest average salary in Major League Baseball, and you're injury prone, and to stay with the Yankees, and you turn it down, saying I'm betting on my, betting on yourself to do what? To do what? So if you got so if you got uh, Mike, let's say they gave you I don't know what he was asking for, but let's assume he was asking for the same as Mike Trout, for example, thirty six million. Okay, so it's five and a half million. Let's just round it up. Let's just round it down to five million over eight years. So it's forty million dollars. Okay, yeah, forty million dollars is a big number. Okay, so that's fine. But the point is, is it a big number relative to two hundred and thirty million guaranteed? You're fucking insane. And as much as I hate Aaron Judge, and as much as I hate the New York Yankees, I hope it all works out for him because you know anyone who makes it to this level and enjoys success, you've been playing baseball since you're two, three, four, five, six years old, however long it is. You've sacrificed your entire life to do something that you love. It's not a linear path; it's all a leap of faith. And you know, if anything, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Uh, professional athletes are underpaid. If you look relative to the money that's being generated by the franchise and the owners, and then their portion of it compared to how much they're generating, they're underpaid. So the point is, is that I would hate to see this man get injured and, and like either not get any money or get it like you know a, a really short term uh, deal with not a lot of average. Like, anyway, I wish you all the best, Aaron Judge, on that front. But very stupid move. Uh, even if it works out, it's a fucking stupid move. So you talk about risk and reward. Like, how could you sit down in your living room and do a risk and reward uh, analysis for any decision you make in life and come out on top saying that that's the right decision? You're nuts, man. You know, Buck brought up a good point. Marcus Marcus Simeon last year played on a 30-year deal. Or sorry, 30 years old. He played the season at 30 years old. But he was out of contract. It was a one-year deal he did with the Jays. 
perfect. Thank you, Darren. Thirty point five million for seven years. Thank you for putting that in the comments. I appreciate it, Darren. Yeah, so that like you know, second highest paid player in Major League Baseball. If you don't think if you don't think the Yankees are showing you love by making you the second highest player, you are not uh, Mike Trout, bro. You're not. You are not Mike Trout. And 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 the thing is, is that even if you thought you were. At some point in time, you got to block everything else out and think to yourself risk versus reward. You got to be fucking crazy. Crazy. Uh, Anyway, where's it going? Yeah, so they brought up Marcus Simeon. He he played the season as a 30 year old. He was out of contract. But Marcus Simeon was, was in a situation where, you know, he was coming off a little bit of a down year and he wanted to stay with Oakland and they didn't offer him something that was, you know, the money's not wasn't the same. And it was worth taking a chance because he was still getting paid decent money from us. And even, even if he had had a so-so year, he would have got a decent contract. Thank you, Darren. Yes, they mentioned that. So he's 29 now and turning 30 on April 26th. So I, I, I knew that I knew that he was turning 30 at some point in time this year. Thank you. I appreciate that. So 30 is right around the corner. So you're going to play the bulk of the season, right? You're going to play 75. You're going to play 75 percent of the season at 30 years old. Well, you're not a spring chicken anymore. And, and again, I hate the New York Yankees, but you're playing for the New York Yankees, man. <laughs> the New York Yankees have offered you a contract. To bring you until you're 37 years old on a seven-year deal. Thanks, Darren. And for half a, a quarter of a billion dollars. And you're pissing and balling because you got some age in your ear to saying what should be the like Aaron Judge should not be the highest paid player in baseball. He's not the best player in baseball. And even if he was, I'm not even here for that. That doesn't matter to me. If you want to make him the highest paid, it's all a moment in time anyway. It's all relative. It's not really who's the best. It's a moment in time when the contracts are, are rolled out depending on, you know, what the situation is. But anyway, I hope it all works out for you. I hope you don't get injured and I hope you get all your money because you deserve it. But it's a fucking stupid move. I don't know if the guy's married with kids either. But if he's married with kids, I can't. I can't. I can't imagine him being married and him having a family discussion with his wife about this and and her signing off on it. It's fucking nuts to me. So anyway, uh, Marcus Simeon, it wasn't the same. He wouldn't have lost out a lot, even if he had had a so-so year with the Jays, because he still would have got a short-term deal for decent money. But so it, the risk versus reward, it was worth it for him. And what happened with him? Uh, there you go. It'd have to be over $43 million a year. Like, that's nuts, man. He's not getting paid that. He, so the irony of it is, is at the end of this year, when he gets his deal, even if he gets the deal that he wants, in my opinion, it won't be $40 million a year. Even if he hits 50 home runs, which I don't believe he will. But even if he did, he's not going to get $40 million a year. I don't think. Maybe he gets $35 million. So they, they cited that. Marcus paid off for Marcus Simeon. You know, like I said, he would have got a short-term deal, and he is married. Okay, thank you. Like, I mean, well, I don't know. That had to be a tricky conversation at home. It must have been. Uh, and Marcus Simeon got paid $150 million or whatever it was, 100 plus, and it worked out for him. But even if it didn't, he still would have got decent money. Carlos Correa went the other way. Buck brought it up. Again, played, I, th- I think, same thing, 30 years old or in that age range, and that they, he thought he was getting $300 million, and he didn't. He got a $100 million deal or whatever it was for three years. And, I mean, uh, so after that, anyway, you roll the dice. So I think about Edwin Encarcion when his agent 
incorrectly guided him when we offered him a deal. Anyway, I'm not, I'm gone way off the rails now, but everyone who knows the Encarcion deal, everyone knows that Edwin said after the fact that he wanted to stay with the Jays and his agent fucked him over, thought he was going to get four years, 80 million. And then it ended up, I think that's what we offered him four years, 80 million. And then he thought he was going to get more. His agent said, you're going to get more. And turned out there was not, there wasn't the agent is supposed to, is supposed to know the temperature and check the temperature and know the climate of free agency. And there was no bigger deal out there. I think they were looking for five for a hundred or whatever it was. And they ended up taking that deal with Cleveland. I think it was three years for 60, like same thing, 20 million a year. We gave him four for 80 and he wanted to stay in the Jays and fucked it all up. And then anyway, uh, they went to Hazel for a minute just when they were talking about uh, Chapman, the ice cream man. I was at the Jays' season home opener, and uh, there was a girl sitting a couple uh, seats down from me, and she was calling Chapman the ice cream man. I'm rolling with that for Chapman's ice cream. Shout out to, I don't know who it was, I don't know, but uh, those are my season tickets. Maybe I'll see her again. If I do, I'll give her a shout out for giving him that nickname. Um, they said that uh, he, Chapman said, That he was caught off guard with the silent treatment hasn't been done to him in a while. But that's a show. That's a sign of endearment, right? Your team giving you silent treatment. They really love you, and then a little bit of initiation love. Got the home run jacket on for the first time, and uh, he was feeling good. So he's felt like he's known these guys his whole life. Uh, Espinal again, another hit, and then hit up stealing the base. You know, Santiago Espinal. Gangster man, like this guy. I got love for Kevin Biggio, but like this, it, it's going to be very difficult. They're not going to be split in time. You know, yes, it's a platoon there, but, you know, Espinal is going to be getting the bulk of the time as long as he keeps this up. I said last year he was a hitter. I said he was a hitter, and I said he was hungry. He played third last year in, in bits and pieces. I think he played shortstop and second base. Did he play shortstop? He might have played everywhere except first. I don't know if he did play shortstop and second base to give Bo or Simeon a break here and there. I can't remember. But the point is, is that he's a hitter. He's a hitter. And, like, you know, it's it's well documented. He bulked up. I don't know how many pounds, 15, 20, 25 pounds or whatever he put on, all muscle. He bulked up. And uh, and then Joe Siddle said on Blue Jays Central the other day about how he's got the higher, more exaggerated leg kick that's given him more power. And, uh, you know, that's a bad man right there. Then uh, Trevor Richards comes in, and uh, he came in after Gossman, you know, in game, I guess, game two of that series, right, uh, at home with the Jays with, against Texas. And then uh, he came in, but uh, uh, we had Simber up quick, right? We had Simber up quick, and then when Simber came in, then Richards would pull for Simber. When Simber came in, he did well. Simber! The thing is, though, is that I don't know how everyone else feels, but when we look to the bullpen, and we've had some good performances, and we had some okay performances, but Buck gave a good stat, 18 and a half innings that the bullpen has logged in the first series. You know, when we look to the bullpen, I'm not, I don't feel like it's lights out with anybody. That's me personally. Nobody, not one person. I'm like, okay, we're good. I'm like, okay, so, you know, you're trying to be optimistic, but I don't feel lights out with anybody. Simber had a good performance today, and I was happy that he did. And uh, now in there as well, I don't know if it was before or after, 
Yes, thank you, Darren. Yes, I mentioned that at the top of the show. Everybody loves Romano. Uh, broke Tom Hankey, the Terminator's record. Yes, thank you for shouting that out. I love the fact that uh, that Darren's in the house and giving some love to the Jays as well. This is a special season. World Series or bust. I did speak about that. I mean, you know, Blue Jays fans love Tom Hankey, the Terminator, and uh, it was a very special record to break. Very special record to break. He tied it last last game, and then you know everyone was wondering. There was two people. Uh, who else was warming up in the bullpen with uh, Romano? I can't remember now. But you know, I was glad to see him come in. And then you're even though you know at home, especially tied it at home, and then to break it in Yankee Stadium and the boogie down Bronx is also special. So uh, very special moment for Jordan Romano. T. Oscar made that diving catch. I mean, listen, a lot of you people out there. I could go on and on for hours, and I have it well documented from me saying it on Talk That Talk, the official fan reaction show before and after every Blue Jays game. I roll with Teoscar from the beginning. I still can't remember who said it. I want to say Buck, but somebody early on when Teoscar had arrived at the team, they sent him down and came back up, I think. But early on, people compared him to Jose Batista, saying that Jose Batista, you know, I'm not going to go on and on, but everyone knows how, you know, he was, you know, just an average player when he came here and then found his groove and then turned into a monster, uh, an absolute monster. And people were comparing some of those attributes to T Oscar and he was in left field, just booting balls around, just butchering them. Left field is obviously where the weakest fielder goes and and everyone was shitting all over this guy. You guys couldn't, you, everybody out there and the, all the blue Jays fans on Twitter, they were all ripping on. They wanted them traded. They wanted them gone. They said he was butchering all the balls. Useless. Don't care if he can hit the ball. Fourth outfielder or not get rid of him. day in, Day out, day in, day out. And I said, absolutely not. Big Daddy Kane is what I call him. Pimpin' ain't easy. Is that he's a professional hitter, and he was going to get the hang of it, and some of the errors weren't as glaring as people wanted to make it seem, and they were they were able to be corrected with repetition and hard work. That's how I felt, and I kept saying it. Weekend, day in and day out, game in and game out. And lo and behold... Obviously, the Jays felt the same way. Thank goodness that they did. And they stuck with him. And now where's the guy playing? Now the guy's playing in Batista's position. Now the guy's playing. It's not easy to play over there in right field at all, man. Now the guy's playing in right field. And he's a hitting machine. A hitting machine. Never mind the fifth run, tying home run, bomb, opposite, oppo taco in in the season home opener. Sent everyone into an absolute fucking frenzy. And then the safe call. As well, when he uh, slid in under the tag. Then tonight with the diving catch, you know, turned his wrist over. Let's hope that he's okay. So I don't know. I haven't seen anything online. Of course, we're coming in immediately following the Jays game. So I don't know. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. I hope his wrist is okay. It got turned over. He grimaced in pain. And then the trainers came out afterward. But he stayed in the game. So we can't afford to lose to Oscar. Uh but listen, all you motherfuckers out there, you guys wanted T. Oscar gone. Every fucking single one of you, man, woman, and child, wanted T. Oscar Hernandez gone. Just like you wanted Charlie gone. And I didn't want either one of them gone. Just saying. And so that pissed me off that everyone was coming for T. Oscar. Jay's had some trouble there with the pitch calm. And Kirk had to come out. I think they switched to the signs there. Arcana was in and out for a second. I think they switched to the signs because they were having trouble hearing in the 
hearing the audio, like relaying the relaying the uh, the signs or the pitches. Pardon me. So anyway, uh, then this was the great double play here, right? This is when the great double play came into uh, came into effect with Santiago, and then Bo knows, and then uh, off to the mayor, as Dan Shulman likes to call him, "Who's your Vladdy?" Right, and Tabby said it right. Tabby said, that's the sign of a good baseball team, right? When you turn a sweet double play like that and a very impressive double play, he said, you know, that's as good of a double play as you're ever going to see. And then Buck chimed in as well and said, yeah, and, and, and against the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium on the road. It's a great point. I mean, these are from great baseball minds in Buck and Tabby. And then, of course, uh, we had... Uh, Oh, that's when Espinal got hit by the pitch in top of the ninth. And then uh, Springer uh, ended up getting out. But, I mean, you know, how can you hate on these guys? They had a great night. So, and, and then everybody loves Romano. Shut it down. Shut it down. Big win. We're 3-1 and one on the season. That was game four of 162. En route. Next stop, World Series. In Yankee Stadium. In the Bronx. Not easy. Pitching and defense wins championships. And that's what you saw tonight. Not seven, eight, nine runs every game. Alec Manoa is our ace. I said it all along. And he's always going to be the ace. He's going to be the pitcher in the first game of the playoffs when we go there. So you saw tonight what a World Series team looks like. Pitching and defense and timely hitting and responsible hitting. But you don't need eight home runs to be able to win a World Series. That's not going to win a World Series. Phenomenal game for me. Who walked that walk tonight? It's tough, you know. I've kind of, I was kind of avoiding it. I'll end, I'll end and say, if I had to pinpoint one person who walked that walk, I got to give it to Alec Manoa. I, I really do. Shout out George Springer. Timely hits, you know. When he's when he's hitting well, he, you know, he's a proven champion. He's won the World Series. Another guy, you guys all shit over when they cheated over there in Houston. Couldn't call these guys enough names. And then when he came here, and I can't love him enough. Just saying. So he had a great game, timely hits, had the RBIs. Santiago, I mean, what can you say? He was on base four times, three for three with the stolen base. And I mean, he's a gangster man. He's coming for he's coming for his spot. And then you have Bo Bichef, uh, Bo knows, even though, you know, this was his Achilles heel as the backhander on defensively. And then he, he made two phenomenal plays tonight to, to potentially save the game, both of those. Backhanded plays to potentially save the game. But if you got to give it to anyone, you know, Alec Manoa went six innings, gave up only one hit, a single, few walks, seven strikeouts. And Pat Tabler made a great, I don't know where my stat is, Pat Tabler made a great point. I think he only had one ball, one or two, hit into the outfield. So to me, who walked that walk tonight? The big dog, Alec Manoa. That's it. Three and one. Next stop, World Series. Always remember, keep on talking in the free world.